Hello and welcome to the Press Matters podcast. We're back again. I'm Sam Hyde and I'm joined by Toby Prisover. It's been a boring week of football, I'm going to say. We're going to try Oof. and fill an hour, maybe maybe less. We're going to try and fill some time about football. What a drag, hey? That's me. It's not been boring, Sam. It's just you're depressed. But it's okay. It's okay not to be okay. I, I'm going to say it now. It's not a great thing to say at the start of the podcast, but a lot of the games are quite boring this week. Uh, <laughs> you can <laughs> entice the listeners in. That's not a... No, I'm going to say stop listening right now because unless I'll you want to hear... Tell them to switch off. Unless you want to hear about the Arsenal uh, Arsenal Circus, I'm going to say. Uh, circus? The, the That's cir- the second time I've oofed in the opening <laughs> couple of minutes. You're on one. Uh, well, okay, we'll go into this because I don't mean that Arsenal as a football club or an organisation are a circus. Uh, there's been a whole load of a whole load of clowns and, and lions circling around the the football team, um, which has been very interesting to see because uh, uh, so the result this week was that Arsenal lost three 0 to Brighton, um, which basically confirms the the title is going to go to City pretty much. It feels like it's going to the blue side of Manchester. Yeah, that's the uh, blues. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to react to that accent. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, that was all my input was. Yeah, it wasn't great. I just said the colour. That's some analysis for you there. I think colour the like, Manchester City playing. It's I don't, no one calls them the Blues, though, do they? Anyway, I nobody think does like, call them the Blues. Nobody like calls them anything. Blues. Nobody cares about them, Sam. The citizens. Citizens. That's what they call them. Uh, okay, so Arsenal lost to Brighton, and it's been one of those games where. Uh, I feel like there's been an absolutely massive reaction to it from everyone outside of the Arsenal camp and the Arsenal fan base, and it's kind of like what they call it, not like a T-bone. What's it called? Yeah, it is a T-bone. I- I've been T-boned by social media reaction. You've been basically. T-boned by social media, like uh, in Burnout Paradise <coughs> when you T-bone a car in front. Is that what you're yeah, referring to? Yeah, exactly. Okay, you've been T-boned. Man, what game? Um, yeah, so it was a very interesting atmosphere going into this game, I should say. Uh, I only watched like half of it, and not even like a football half. I watched part of the first half, part of the second half. <laughs> um, I was very unexcited going into it. It was the day after the City beat Everton 3-0. And uh, last week sort of said... Like, you never know what could happen, like, it's not over yet. But we were saying that from, like, a slightly resigned point of view. Like, it was very, uh, very likely that City would end up winning it and that Arsenal's title hopes have been over for a couple of weeks. But the inevitables. If Man City are the inevitables, you're the, you were the invincibles, they're the inevitables, you know? Yeah, and it's 11 games won in a row for City and... Going into this game after seeing them beat Everton the day before and the fact that Arsenal beat Newcastle last weekend. Um, Arsenal are going to come second. There's very, very little for Arsenal to play for in this game. And I don't think Arsenal gave up or any of that kind of stuff. But from a fan's point of view, it was um, it was very hard to get motivated for or, or let the game affect you in like any way, really. 
I think the outcome for you would would have been quite bleak, right? It was all pretty bleak. Not even bleak. Uh, this is the thing. I, I'm, okay, so this brings me on to like one of my main points is that the media's reaction for weeks now, like pretty much since even before Arsenal lost to City, when Arsenal drew against Southampton or drew against West Ham, um, or Liverpool, or Liverpool. Well, Liverpool was a bit different. I'm going to say because that was is that because we're a good team. You're a good team, and that was the first one of of all this uh, drama. Yeah, okay. There was no pattern yet. It was a streak of one. There was no pattern for the media to prey upon. So, yes. Yeah, uh, so, the reaction from the media since, since like, the West Ham game is... Um, it's been all of this talk about Arsenal bottling it, and, uh, which we'll, we'll go into. But um, for Arsenal fans, I think... The reaction has been totally different than seeing the media be like, oh, you should be really unhappy. Why Why aren't you unhappy with your team? You bottled it. You bottled this eight-point lead. Why Why are you fine with this? Why aren't you unhappy? And then, like, the Arsenal fans left this game really early at the Brighton match. And then you see the media, like the, the BBC Sport Twitter accounts and all everything, and, like, all, all the match, uh, all the live footage is showing all the Arsenal fans leaving, showing tweets saying Arsenal are bottlers and everything. And it's like, ah, oh, why? What a disgrace from the Arsenal fans! Like, what a great season they've had, and they're they're turning on their team just because they're coming second at that. And there is, like I said, it's just like a, a circus around Arsenal that is just like totally passing me by. This game didn't matter at all in terms of Arsenal's season. Uh, Arsenal coming second is a lot better than literally anyone predicted. So. It's been a shock. It's been a, a really weird week for me to see uh, a massive reaction from all sorts of pundits and bleeding into like the general public uh, since the Brighton game. That is not something that I have felt at all. Uh, I don't know how. How do you feel about about like this game? How did it? What was your reaction to it? Um, well, there's no shame in losing to Brighton. That's for sure. Um... However, if you're meant to be part of the two that are breakaway and up there with City, obviously you can't be losing 3-0 at home to them. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of facets here. I think I think it, it was disappointing to see all the Arsenal fans walking out. That did annoy me. Um, and you also kind of did bottle it, Sam. If I'm going to be honest with you, you've, it was disappointing to see everyone walk out and you have kind of bottled it. Now, you've you've bottled it from a position that you should never have been in. So it's up to each individual if they want to see it as an achievement or as a failure, I suppose. Uh, although that's a bit extreme because it's obviously an achievement of the season as a whole. It's so harsh to say bottling it because of how good City are. But I suppose the fact is you're on course for a 90-point season halfway through it or to surpass it even and then you didn't go and do it now that's very tough but the standard is to win the Premier League with Pep, whilst Pep Guardiola is at Manchester City you need to hit 90 points yeah well Arsenal best they can finish on is 87 and it's, it's very much a post Pep thing where that is a, a failure basically like in before that that would, would win you the league uh, in a lot of seasons before, uh, 
and uh, seeing people talk about City earlier in the season and saying like Arsenal are only going to win the league because City are having a bad year well they're on course to finish 94 points I mean like you you can't take anything away from like how good City have been I think like this this bottling stuff is very like a very recent sensation and like um, I think that since Pep and, and Klopp have been going out at the top so much I think there's been a lot more emphasis on every single game and you see this as well with the top four race where everyone's saying it's top four is lava and it's just like well these are just like the kind of best of the rest teams and they're not going to be winning every week even like at the end of the season and uh, I don't know I just I, I just try and stay a bit more like r- rational about it I know like football is very irrational a lot of the time but um, I, I don't think there's anything in the last few weeks that will will give a lot of concern for Arteta and if you think like people say oh you should have beaten Liverpool, West Ham and Southampton well if Arsenal did that they still wouldn't be top because City have a better goal difference than them um, so I think it's just uh, Arsenal weren't ready to compete in, in in a lot of ways and at the end of the season there's a combination of like teams knowing what you are and also just the the fact that the long season is catching up on you and that that City have had the resources to to deal with it better than Arsenal so yeah I I feel totally fine about all of it but but yeah you're right you're completely right but City have also had you know we say that City have got the resources to deal with it yeah but they're not only dealing with this they're dealing with the Champions League they're dealing with the FA Cup you know there are other competitions there it's not just a case of they've got better resources and therefore are walking the Prem they're like walking multiple things at the same time yeah I, I think that is the scary thing about City as well in a way like you see them line up against Everton and they just like well we're not going to play De Bruyne for this one and it's like it's the game that basically we'll, we'll secures set, the league secure the league and they're like nah De Bruyne <laughs> can get a rest and you don't really even notice it that much you've got like Gundogan scoring twice and um it's just the fact that they can do this the whole season through uh, and even how they've been managing Haaland as well like um, they've, they've always got their best players available when they need them because the, the deputies uh, are basically like first team players for most of the teams in the league anyway so um, yeah. yeah I mean you look at Grealish, Foden, Mahrez they all walk into any other team really at the level they're playing at for Man City anyway, and yet they would never all start together. Because you've got to compare this Arsenal season to last season as well, when Arsenal were seen to bottle the top four, and um, after that that end of the season run-in, everyone, I'm talking about pundits here, were predicting that Arsenal were not even going to come top four. I saw the BBC pundits, I saw the Athletic pundits, Sky Sports as well, they weren't saying it because Gary Neville and Carragher didn't have them, I don't think. No, really, yeah. Yeah, they're all saying Spurs are going to finish above Arsenal. And it, it's not really taking into like the whole context. It's they, they were just focusing on the last few games of Arsenal's season where they didn't get top four and then thought that that short map form would continue. I, I think the, the summer is going to be such a reset for every team, like it always is. And... Um, like you know, let's just see what Arsenal could do next season as well. Like, I don't think Arsenal are going to win the league. I don't think they'll be favourites at all. 
but you know you just see what happens next season and I'm, I'm Arsenal will be playing for that top four it's it's something to look forward to rather than just being like really really miserable about uh, what essentially is like a couple of matches um. yeah I mean I mean also look as a Liverpool fan over the past I've, I don't know how many years right I've never felt any shame in being the best of the rest and even when we've been tight and it's been f- so frustrating it is just you just have to take it for what it is and the facts are that we we can't compete with the resources i mean look what it's done to us this season look at the drop off we've had the you know trying to sustain that challenge over a number of seasons yes things have changed yes shapes have changed and pressing structures have changed with with new personnel but i just think the the mental fatigue that there must be to sustain that challenge to man city there's no shame in, in not in not winning it. The issue that there is in social media is the fact that, well, first off, to appease... Well, okay. First thing, football fandom, the tribalism. Everyone will use any stick they can to beat the, to beat the opposition that they want to wind up, right? So it's hilarious that Spurs can have gone through three managers, been in cruise control. Cruise control is an ex- exaggeration, but been in the top four positions and, and dropped out of them so comically and, and capitulated, right? Um, and yet, the nature of football fandom and football tribalism means that they actually can have one up on you because although they haven't been successful at all, you were nearly successful and weren't, which is worse somehow, right? Mm. And then that's compounded by the fact that Sport Bible or, I don't know, anyone like that. Yeah. Other generic useless footballing sporting media sites are available but like they will get to play every side so halfway through the season let's just relate it to Liverpool because everything in my life seems to revolve around Liverpool not that we're biased and we're completely uh, unbiased on this podcast um, whilst we do a full Arsenal episode and just listen to me cramming in Liverpool where I can but Sport Bible We'll post a. We'll have a post on Instagram about Trent's take-ons and how slandering his defensive stats and pulling them all up, picking cherry picking the best ones that make him look dreadful, and all of that. And then they'll be the first people to post. And and it will be the caption will be something like "Was Southgate right all along?" And then fast forward three months, and it's like most assists in I don't know the last few games. It will show all the stats that he's first on, and then they'll put the caption of with a little like mind blown emoji, and it'd be like he wasn't even in the England squad, something like that. And and that everyone's just fishing these days because it's just engagement, and it's just what's gonna, you know, get a reaction. And and sadly, if you are the team that's 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 uh, bottled the title, that's where the clicks are at. That's what everyone's gonna love, and so you have to endure that circus. And and. It is just like a siege against you. And it's a bit like Man City don't even have that because I feel like the engagement kind of isn't there. There's not the same yeah, level of, exactly. of ribbing that there is to other fan bases. Because fundamentally, I don't think people know that many City fans. Certainly not in my generation. Maybe younger generations coming through 
because of the dominance that they've had and, and things like that, yeah, it would make sense for them to for that to be happening in future generations. But as of right now... I, was, like, I would love to see that with like some 10-year-olds because the only thing you could hit Man City fans with is that they've got no history. And it's like, if that was coming from a 10-year-old, it would sound like so funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it'd be hilarious. But also, in years to come, look, there's going to be a world where Pep Guardiola leaves, and even and even in that period, Man City will win titles, I'm sure, because of the infrastructure built and the resources in place. But it's not going to be this level of dominance. It can't be, I don't think, unless they find the next Pep Guardiola. Is yeah, you could kind of compare it to Ferguson leaving United, but then also Ferguson left United in a, a lot worse spot than I think City will be. Um, but yeah, like Pep is obviously certainly one of the greatest managers. Like, he, I I think they will drop off, but they've also got like a, a leg up on everyone else. It really, really depends. Um, going back to like the social media stuff as well. Like, the one that they always post these kind of like troll football pages, or whatever, is like the big chances missed stat. And I remember people like Darwin Nunez were getting an awful lot of stuff at the start of the season, but also like Jesus got it as well. And uh, you just post the the stat, which is like most big chances missed this season, and just to like the everyday sort of person seeing it for ten seconds on social media, like, wow, he's missed so many big chances. That's like missing a goal, but uh, you know, like missing big chances isn't really a bad thing because you look at the big chances missed in top five leagues, and it's like. Mbappe's up there and whatever. And yeah, it'll still like, be the best strikers in the world. Yeah. yeah. If you're not getting chances, then there's a concern. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but the, the the issue is, and look, we shouldn't even be giving these troll football accounts like this <laughs> much time of day. It's funny though. It, I, I find it funny. But but the point is, is that they, they don't get, they don't have to choose a side. So they can always win. But also I think, uh, I think the social media stuff does like trickle down a bit from the media as well like how the actual like tv stations and the pundits on there are talking about it because um and shout out we don't do a shout out very often but shout out to martin keown on talk sport for talking about this he was really great uh he was talking about deserby who uh ran onto the pitch to celebrate nobody cared at all in terms of the media whereas we've had like months and months of arteta getting slated all the time and he was also talking about the uh, Sky Sports commentary team who uh, often have a lot of biases about certain certain teams. Uh, so it was nice to see someone that is like actually in the media going on radio and talk about this. Yeah, instead of just uh, feeling like we're just shouting into the void, it's nice for someone yeah. with a reputation in the game to actually like highlight things like that. I completely agree. I could, it's a shame it was on TalkSport, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I do yeah. completely agree. Because um, I was watching Match of the Day 2 as well, which is the second best match of the day. Uh, but uh, they had Shea given on, who has obviously got uh, Man City links. Uh, I don't know how strongly he feels about Man City. Uh, I don't think he was there that long, was he, anyway? But uh, they're, they're talking about the two incidents in the first half, which are that uh, Martinelli um, is in this aerial challenge with Mitoma and. Matoma's like not really jumping and Martinelli is like quite reckless and flies in and hits his head and shoulder or whatever and uh, moments later or minutes later uh, Moises Caicedo um, does this slide tackle 
uh, directly behind into Martinelli, uh, like deliberately taking him out, and Martinelli actually goes off injured. But it's the kind of challenge that you do on FIFA when you're three 0 down and you just like raging at your friend, and you just want to like take your anger out on like FIFA players, fictional <laughs> representations of footballers. And uh, yeah, the like, kind of hype. rage that only Charlie Adam can induce on FIFA. <laughs> exactly. Oh god, that was fun. But but I, I don't really that. agree with you on this though. I don't really agree with you on this. Did you watch it though? Because because uh, Casado like high five well, Mitoma. Challenges back. And, and yeah, but, okay, but that's what they do. That's what you have to do. That's what that's what. That's no, but what, I'm sorry uh, to say it, but that's like what a title-winning team does. I'm not saying Brighton are a title-winning team, but you have to have that dark streak, that nasty. Street. Brighton, but, if anything, have been accused of being too nice for too long, I would say. And you need that. You need an imposer. You need a, an enforcer. You need someone who, look, Martinelli likes being reckless as well. That's not, he, he's, he's a fantastic footballer, and, but he has that side to him. He has that mean streak to him. Did you hear what Shea Gibbon said? No. Shea Gibbon said that Martinelli could have been sent off, and he said that Moises Caicedo probably wasn't a yellow, and it was probably just a foul is fine. And it's like this kind of, like, brain dead takes from people with biases linked to these clubs like this is like the, the match of the day brand and you've got like this pundit that is just like coming out with this total nonsense about you know just his own personal <laughs> but I think, agendas but I think Martinelli's is worse isn't it? No it's clearly not worse he's just like jumping up like Moises Caicedo has deliberately taken out a player and injured him like from behind and okay, yeah, it. It, it, he does injure him, so you do have that like after effect to to point to. So I do understand that, but I do, I just, I don't think Martinelli has can have any complaints. I think it's completely normal that as soon as you smash through the one team's fun and exciting winger, you're going to expect it back. Champions League final, we'll have Milner. Milner completely crunches Benzema, right on, right, right on the ankle. Hits straight through and follows through early on, and immediately, what does he get back? Casemiro smashes through him. That that's that is part of football, and I'm not saying that it should be encouraged, but I think it would be naive to believe that you know that doesn't happen. And 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 I I like the little high five afterwards. I like the you know you protect your your. I don't want to call Mitoma a luxury asset, but he's a different kind of player you you have to protect the players that could be targeted and um give something back i mean gerard would do it plenty of times on people like fellaini and manchester derbies and 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 stuff you know you have to nullify other other teams from targeting people by getting them back i think martinelli is is a is a scoundrel sam and and that's great i think that's a great thing for him to be that, to be honest, can take him to the very top, that dark side. I, he's rough, and he was... But I think we're being naive if we're denying that he has one and then saying that other people aren't going to get him back for stuff like that. My my point was just... There, there were two points, is that you shouldn't deliberately try and injure players. And the, the main point was that Shea Given is obviously looking at these two instances that were neither of them given a yellow card and both should have been... And he was saying that the Arsenal one was this disgraceful red card, pretty much. It, it was it was like kind of media talk, uh, where he wasn't just like talking freely like like I am. 
But uh, I understand saying. your point. I understand the frustration with what nonsense Shay Given is coming out with on a credible platform. I understand that. And th- th- this always happens. Is the point? Like this isn't like uh, Shay Given is just like one of many incidents that Martin. It's Keaton a Jermaine Genius like... incident. It's a whatever thing. It's a you know whoever they bring on. I'll tell Gary, you what. Gary I Apple. was listening to yeah. It's a Gary Neville saying like don't celebrate anyone every week yeah and and saying you know what he said last night on Monday Night Football he said if Trent was a half decent defender he'd be like what he'd be one of the greatest fullbacks of all time it's the most outrageous thing to come up with that he to to think that he's not even a half decent defender he also said that Zinchenko's celebrations on one win that we had was a worry or a concern or something it was when Arsenal won won like the next three games after that, and then started going on a losing streak, and it was uh, Sinchenko as well. But I see like this as well, like people blaming Shaka for fighting with Trent, and that's like causing Arsenal's downfall. Like everything is just like so extreme and like pointing fingers, and it's kind of just like like all of this stuff with Arsenal. Like a lot, a lot of it is like it just it just happens. It's just like. But but I do also think these things can build up to something, but it is stupid just to brandish. To point the finger at one thing and brandish that the the reason for this, you know, this bottle job, because um, because the reality is it isn't that. But at the same time, I do. I, we spoke on the podcast after that Shaka incident, and and there's no doubting that the crowd gets up from it. Now the goal has to also contribute to the to the crowd getting up and staying up, you know and creating noise and creating an atmosphere but there's no doubt that it did that for that moment but we can't it'd be stupid to say that's the moment that the game changes because it doesn't work like that um there can be flashpoints and there can be moments where things are on a knife edge and then go either way but yeah these 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 little things there's a hell of a lot more that you can look at just by turning around and looking at what man city have you know rather than what arsenal have lacked I'd like to know what Arsenal's longest winning run is this season. It was probably the seven-game run that Arsenal had uh, before before the downfall. The only reason I bring it up though is I just who can actually go on streaks that that can get close to what City have done in the past ten games is is really why I'm asking. Because look, Arsenal have had a sensational season. There's no doubt about that. But you have to show the caliber that. Only two teams have shown to actually win the Premier League, and they're the two teams that have won the Premier League. Produ- mostly City, don't get me wrong, but we've pushed them very close. Liverpool, with ridiculous winning streaks. We've we're in a, we're in crisis, and we're ending the season with with seven wins in a row. Now we have had some poor results earlier on against lower table teams, and and lost some games that we we ought not to be losing, right? But I'm just thinking more for next season. Arsenal have shown that this young group can put a, a, a good winning run together. with Not an unbeaten run, because that doesn't cut it these days. It has to be a good winning run. And to compete with Man City, you have to do that. You have to also sustain other results. You can't just go for a patch of seven wins and lose the rest, obviously. But your Man United, they've not shown that, that calibre. And then we're looking at your Newcastles in third. They've not shown that calibre. You've got your Spurs. They definitely haven't shown it. Chelsea, nowhere near it, you know. And and the three teams, well, the two teams who definitely can 
is Liverpool and City. And Arsenal have shown that they, you know, a seven winning streak is is big. And that could have been, you know, there's no no reason why next season they, they can't put that together, if not longer. Obviously, it depends on all sorts. It depends on fixtures as well as, but, um, as well as performances, to be fair, in terms of putting a, a clean streak together. And it's not the be-all and end-all, because it's not like if you drew one game in the middle of a, 15 game winning run it'd be like oh well you can't you can't win the league because it wasn't a winning run but my point is more just that it's like fixture defying runs right man city you're looking at their winning streak you're not thinking oh well they've got this team coming up because it's just the inevitables liverpool when they won the league and when they were one point behind getting like 96 points or whatever it was they put these kind of winning runs together and it was a it was a case of well it, it doesn't matter who they're against because they're in this groove they're in this rhythm their players are fit their their structure is sound everybody understands their role and can perform it to a very high standard and I think our, the the most important takeaway from this season is is Arsenal have shown that 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 glimpse, I mean, glimpse is harsh because of how dominant they were in the first half of the season, but they've shown that inevitables streak, right? They've shown that that relentless run that you have to have to compete with City, that, that Pep Guardiola has taken the league to, those heights. So I think that's the more important thing in terms of like looking to build on next season. Um, and it's tough this season. And I'm I'm enjoying saying you bottled it. Because I do think you did. But only because you were on top. Not I don't think you did much wrong, you know? Yeah, like, I don't know. I don't I just don't really understand like the Arsenal bottling thing because it, it it's purely just based on the number of days that Arsenal were top, but Arsenal were never that far ahead. Like people say eight points, but it was with a game in five. hand for City. And then, you know, we still got City to play at the Etihad. It was a weird season because Arsenal's two games against City both got pushed into the second half of the season and then lost both of them. So uh, it 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 was weird, kind of. Yeah, if you lose that game when it was due to be played, you're. A, I mean, it's what it's like two points, right? Two points or five with a, with a game in hand. So it was always smaller than it seemed, I suppose. But you also did have this. You did have this unstoppable force about you. You did look. You could just blow teams away. It was partly that as well. It was the form. It was the performances, and it was, it was this young, talented squad that was that was that made you believe the hype. You've only bottled it because you were so good that people actually believed the hype, and thought you would win it, right? Yeah, I guess I think that. Um... Most people just didn't admit that they think Arsenal would win it, like in hindsight, because I think most Arsenal fans weren't committing to the to the that Arsenal were going to go all the way and win the league for a very very long time, and it was only like ironically sort of just before the downfall that Arsenal fans started to to process just how how close they were coming. Um, it, it's a very weird one because it was obviously so unexpected for Arsenal, and there was always. Always a feeling in the first half season that Arsenal would drop off, like from the point of view of the Arsenal fans. And uh, I think, I guess that drop off has just come too late in the season where it's just created this um, kind of crazy 
reaction like from from that this this made it feel worse i suppose um because you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain yeah i mean like it's weird and and, but i mean you survived on top long enough for the defeat for the for the inevitables who caught you to make it seem even worse right it's because you were good that you bottled it I, I don't like this thing where people look at specific results uh, because I catch myself doing this when I play football managers. I get really annoyed that I drew against some low team. I was like, if, if I won that game, I would be two places higher on the table. And it it's just like every single every single team could do that every single season. And I was looking at like some of the city results that they've had this season, and there's not many actually. There's not as many bad results as I thought, seeing as there was a bit of a bit of a disappointed feel around City at the start of the season but there were games like where they drew one all to Gerrard's Villa drew one all at the Etihad to Lampard's Everton and then one all draw against Forest, 2-1 win against Brentford and it's relegate like, them, strip the title relegate them on the spot, draw into Lampard's Everton, get them yeah. down get them gone, I want them gone Sam yeah so I, I don't want to like look back on the season and focus on any resorts. Though I'm saying this and I'm getting flashbacks of the Ivan Tony goal that was offside and they forgot to check it. I mean that would have felt felt pretty good. Um I, I've seen people talk about Arsenal dropping points at Brentford and it's like, well, it was an eighty five minute offside equaliser, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, just like looking at look at the season as a whole rather than focusing on specific games. No, I understand. I understand. I think this is a safe space. This podcast has been a safe space for you to let it all off your chest. I'm still going to call you bottle jobs. I feel it's my duty for impartiality to balance it. See what I mean? Do I believe it? Do I believe it? Depends how you want to define the term bottle jobs. I think I would describe it as you did bottle the league, but in a noble way, in like a kind of way that should be worn as a badge of pride for how far you came so quickly rather than a smear on the season. How about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, like, that's kind of true. I think it's hard to know what people mean by bottle jobs as well. It's kind of just such a kind of throwaway term that people use. And it's very new. I don't like... We'll have to ask Spurs fans. They know they know it best. Does that make you feel better? Does that help? I think this this whole episode has helped. It's been it's been a weight off my shoulders. And uh... <laughs> do you want to discuss any Brighton? We spoke about Brighton last week. Maybe you're sick of it. Maybe you don't want to. We only spoke about that enticing teasing of the press and then looking to play around it. But they went direct a lot, which which makes sense. Um, because I thought Arsenal did well in the game, you know. They were kind of stifled. And I was listening to most of it on the radio rather than... And I'll tell you what. Hang on, let me find out who did the commentary. It was it was Glenn Murray, and I don't know who he was with. I think it was someone called Ali. He told me his... Uh, well, he didn't tell me, he told the listeners. He didn't specifically tell me. <laughs> he said his, he said his uh, A-level results on it. It was kind of weird, but sure. Alistair, Alistair Bruce Ball, was it him? Yes, yes, because it was ABB and that's why they spoke about his A-levels, but he got AAB, not ABB. 
but they were pretty good. It was nice. It was it was refreshing. It and it was refreshing listening to the commentary on the radio. And then I got home, put the game on, and had Gene Evan, Martin Tyler, and I nearly muted it. And it was horrible. So I yeah. think I might just start playing the radio while over games now. Yeah, I thought about this. I um, they do describe it quite a lot. But there, there was the Chelsea game. I wanted to shout this out. It was uh, Arsenal versus Chelsea, and they had, uh, they had, uh, one of the commentators that isn't Martin Tyler on, <laughs> basically, and then they had Jamie Carragher and Karen Carney on, and I thought, like, what a great commentary team this is. Uh, so sometimes it hits, and then ninety percent of the time it doesn't. I, I feel like I feel like punditry is in a bit of a bad space to be honest I think punditry is trying too hard at the moment as well it kind of ties into what we were saying before it's like it's kind of just the sensational aspect and trying to be quite uh, fan focused which is just making it more like more reactionary yeah yeah but yeah shout out to Five Live they they do good stuff actually I I listen to it sometimes as well yeah yeah I bet yeah it was good they do have Jermaine Genus on sometimes though oh that's going off then that's going straight off um Genus and Chappers ah Chappers is cool Uh, Chappers is cool isn't he yeah that sounded like a dig Chappers is cool um ironic that Martin Keown was calling out Neville and that on on Talk Sport which is just the most awful thing ever you know I do listen to Talk Sport like clips on YouTube because some of it's bearable, but most of it is just Gabby Bonlahor coming out and with the wildest stuff he can to get to get views and for a good headline. <laughs> see, for me, the one I see is Jamie O'Hara because it's always like some wild take on Arsenal. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of talking about things tangentially related to football, I guess. Uh, a lot of talk about kind of how we're feeling about Arsenal this season and. I th- I think we're done for Arsenal this season. I think this has been a a release. I think it has closed a book. I think it will open again next season. Uh, but for now, happy with the Arsenal chat. We'll be back next week and we'll be talking about other teams. There's a big relegation battle on. Leicester have slipped into it a bit. Everton. More than uh, just a bit. A lot, yeah. Uh, they're sliding <laughs> they're falling but the slide's also been greased with Vaseline they're trying to cling on to things they can't and Big Sam's standing over the top of the slide barrel hands on hips belly belly laughing down like he did at Chico Flores that's the that's the slipping that Lester on but then also he's about to fall into <laughs> he, he's he's I don't know how this works. He's on the slide laughing, but getting but covered in cash. Um, not caring, but likely to follow Leicester. He's pushing Leicester down the slide, but Leicester are, are pulling him in. And it could be yes. a, a yes. Pyrrhic victory for Big Sam. And uh, Leicester, okay, Leicester might have one foot in the championship. It's looking really bad for them. So we'll talk about all this. We'll see if Everton uh, do well under Deitch in the last few games. And we'll see what Big Sam do. And uh, see who joins Southampton and getting relegated from the Prem. Well, goodbye. Goodbye.